Welcome to the Inside Nature Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Olson, digital producer for nature. It's that time of year when one animal species gets all of the attention, and that's the reindeer. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer, now Vixen. Well, you probably know the rest. To find out more about these cold-loving creatures, we turn to Justina Ray, head of the Wildlife Conservation Society in Canada. She filled us in on the reindeer's unique adaptations to life in the cold and shared some alarming news about their future in the Great White North. Justina, thank you for joining us on the Inside Nature podcast. Thank you. Uh, um, My first question is, what is the difference, if any, between reindeer and caribou? Well, they're the same species. I mean, uh, caribou are actually uh, distributed all over the world, and it's the same species, although they exhibit a lot of differences um, in terms of their behavior and how they use the environment. But reindeer is generally the name that's used in Europe, and many of the caribou in Europe or reindeer are semi-domesticated. So they've lived for generations with uh, semi-nomadic herders and and so um although they the herders follow them on the migration and they're not domesticated in the sense that they're always in you know fenced in and they do migrate they are you know uh part of the herder system if if you will and that's traditionally where the name reindeer comes but but technically they're all the same species but they do look different after you know generations of domestication and living in different environments. So if I'm if I'm talking about reindeer or or caribou, I'm basically talking about the same thing. You're talking about the same species, yeah, but with quite a lot of variety. And and many of the caribou in in different parts of the world have fundamental differences even though they belong to the same species. Um what sort of differences would those be? Well, firstly, there are some differences in their morphology or their body type, right? You know, some have very different coat color, like uh, the caribou that live up in the high Arctic islands in Canada are named Perry caribou after the famous explorer Robert Perry, uh-huh. and um, and they are generally quite white coats, right? Not not all the time, but mostly. Um, you know, there can be differences in antler size, differences in size of the animals uh, from one place to the next. But, but more fundamentally, some of the differences express themselves in, in the different ways they use their environment. So we'll have uh, the great famous barren ground caribou of Alaska, northern Alaska and northern Canada, which are in enormous herds of, you know, traditionally of hundreds of thousands of animals. And they calve en masse, like in large aggregations on the coastal systems and coastal ecosystems in June mostly, and then they migrate hundreds of kilometers uh, southward into the boreal forests in, uh, where they spend winters. And that's a fundamentally different lifestyle from different caribou that live all their life in the, in the mountains. So they migrate up and down the mountains instead of these huge kilometers across different ecosystems. Um, okay, so Justina, uh, according to a certain popular legend... Um, caribou uh, or reindeer live in the North Pole. Um, Is this true? And if not, um, where can you find them? So the North Pole technically is just a 
small area right in the middle of the Arctic Ocean up in the very top, right? But And so they don't live there. They live, though, as far north as you can get on land. So Ellesmere Island, for example, in Canada, these peri caribou that I've already mentioned uh, live in the most harshest environments way, way up north on that island. But they generally are a northern animal. They, um, you know, for example, the United States, although they used to range as far south as uh, New England and, um, and even Minnesota, uh, they, they are not found there anymore. And there are only a couple, and only a few animals are found in the mountains of northern Idaho. Otherwise, in the U.S., they're only in, in, in Alaska, mm-hmm. and then across the band in Canada. So um, much of the northern half of Canada is occupied by caribou. Mm. And, and also Eurasia as well, right? Yes, sorry, I was just talking on the North American continent. But yes, Eurasia, the same sort of latitudinal band, uh, band over there. And that would be that would sort of equate with the boreal forests, is that correct? Yeah, boreal forests and tundra environments, tundra and Arctic environments. So, you know, in in uh, in Scandinavia, for example, there there aren't that many left, and they're in more. You know, the forest is not as unfragmented as northern Canada and Alaska. So, uh, so they tend to be in smaller populations, and then they're also used the mountains there. Uh, but they are in all three um, of Scandinavian countries, and then they're across Russia, again, mostly uh, in much of the range there in these semi-domesticated herds. So let's um, talk a little bit about how caribou survive in these really hostile environments. What sort of things do they eat? Um, what do they do when it's, you know, uh, way below zero? How do they survive? So... From a from a food standpoint, and and pretty much every way they make a living, they they survive to capitalize on whatever opportunities they have. And so in the north, you know, growing season is dramatically brief. You know, it's it it happens sort of all of a sudden, and then it's gone. And 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 the growth can be ferocious at that time. And so caribou need to be in the right place to take advantage of that. And so that's a lot why, for example, in the very far north. Um, they have specific calving areas which they get to at a certain time, which allows them to both have safety in numbers for for their calves, but at the same time be in you know in good enough conditions that the bugs aren't aren't um, completely driving them nuts, and and that they're also able to take advantage of the the seasonal growth that occurs quite quickly, and that's what the calves need as well. And then, um, it, by contrast, you know, in, in the other times of year, particularly in winter, where there's not any kind of plants to be found, they really um, are able to, uh, they, they basically cornered the market on a, on a food source that no other animal uses, and this is, this is lichen. Mm. And it's essentially this two-part plant-like organism it has, that's partly fungus and partly algae. And it looks like it either hangs off the trees or it's down in the ground, and it's below the snow. And so these caribou have incredibly good sense of smell where they can find the lichen under snow. They've got hooves that adapt them to be able to uh, dig through the snow. They've sort of like paddle-like hooves, mm. um, and, and that's what they live on. And they also have a, a digestive system that is able to take advantage of um, being able to digest these these lichen. It, but, seem, but, it seems yeah. like that, um, 
you know, something that basically is growing on rocks would not be very nutritious. But it's not just growing on rocks at mm. all. I mean, it's hanging off trees in big, beautiful clumps. Look delicious even to me. <laughs> and um, and and it can. Uh, it is actually. I mean, like in like we see are these little vestiges that are uh, you know we're used to in some of the southern environments that. I don't think any self-respecting caribou would spend much time on that, but there, but on the on the forest floor, um, where where lichen are found, they can be found in large, um, you know, large large enough volume, and they have other adaptations too. So, for example, their coat, you know, they've got two layers, um, so they've got this fuzzy layer that that is right next to the skin that holds the air and it also keeps them dry when they're crossing uh you know water bodies because they they tend they use water bodies in a lot of the boreal environments where caribou live um it's it's all you know more water than land in the in these environments so caribou are very good at at being able to take advantage of that and and use those kind of environments and their hooves i already talked about how how they use them for digging under snow but they also use them as paddles for swimming mm. you know because they they can be quite wide um and they shape change shape between seasons so depending on what they what they need so it, their adaptations are kind of legendary i mean it, it goes on there's other there's other types of adaptations, the circulatory system, the way their nostrils are built and fur-lined that really allow them to both um, survive but thrive in these, in these environments that we consider to be very harsh. From what I understand, carib- there are a lot of caribou out there. Um, I, do you have any sense of how big the population is, and is it a species that we should be concerned about? We have to be concerned about it. I mean, it's your, your, your call to me is very coincidental, and although although it would be not huge news in the states, last week um, the committee on the status of endangered wildlife in Canada, which is a legislated committee under our federal Species at Risk Act, which is equivalent to the Endangered Species Act in in the U.S., that committee assembles regularly to assess using international scientific criteria whether or not different species are threatened, endangered, special concern, etc. Mm-hmm. And I'm on that committee. I was responsible for the barren ground caribou assessment, which is these populations, about 15 populations of herds, people call them, of caribou that are that range in Canada from the famous porcupine caribou herd in, on the Yukon-Alaska border, which most Americans are, are aware of, that, that herd, ranges all the way east to Baffin Island up in Nunavut. And some of these herds have been hundreds of thousands of animals in their time, but they've declined by over 50% in the last, since the late 80s or early 90s. Oh, wow. And although, and so they used to be at their peak over 2 million animals, and they're now around 800,000. And in most of, most are in a declining status. These are not all the caribou, but these are the most numerous caribou in the most famous herds. Mm-hmm. This in and of itself that they have declined is not so huge, except that there are concerns both that the numbers that are being counted today are lower than anyone can remember, and this includes indigenous groups um, and indigenous you know, knowledge that from, from across the range. Mm-hmm. 
but but also that um, that the that the threats that are on the landscape right now are rather novel. That you know that, that we've got development and roads, mines, etc., that are are being introduced, exploration activities, all that. And if you combine harvest um, and you combine a changing climate on that, the big concern is that these populations will not rebound in the way that they used to. So naturally they have these population cycles that go up and down over, you know, 40, 60 years, something like that. And so the, the committee, COSIWIC, uh, voted um, on threatened status, which is fairly significant. This doesn't mean automatic listing because that is a ministerial decision afterwards, mm. but but it is um, it is making big news up here. Um, so you touched on climate change. Um, just for, so our audience knows, world temperatures are expected to increase anywhere from 3 to 12 degrees by the year 2100. What effect is that likely to have on caribou? So some effects are quite, um, quite uh, possible to imagine, and others are really unclear. And, and so among those that are possible to imagine that are already playing out in the very far north uh, relate to ice. Um, so caribou cross sea ice, for example, and, uh, and they rely on that. There's one famous herd called the Dolphin and Union Herd, which spends m- much of its life on Victoria Island, which mm. is one of the high Arctic islands um, in Northwest Territories. And then right around the fall... It, the whole herd, this is about normally, you know, twenty to 30,000 animals, aggregate at the shores waiting for the ice to form. And this year, although that usually happens in October, it is only happening just now. Here we are, December 7th, and it's only happening just now. Mm. And these caribou are hell-bent to get to the other side because that's where their, you know, that's just the, the, their lifestyle has been that. That is where their traditional... Uh, wintering areas are, et cetera, and they've been milling about waiting for this, and they cannot survive waiting for the weeks and weeks of delay that's occurred. So, so there have been reports of quite a few drownings because they're compelled to cross anyway, or they're going on shaky ice. Um, uh, that's one really dramatic example. Others that are occurring are uh, extreme weather events and very unpredictable weather events, and so where where you see icing that occurs or rain on snow right mm-hmm. and and you know you'll get these all the way up to the high arctic i mean we've been seeing in the news that the the, the temperatures are right now uh i think i heard 30 degrees fahrenheit I, i'm mixing up fahrenheit and celsius in my head but mm-hmm. um but most of your listeners will appreciate fahrenheit and their dramatic um increases right now and uh those uh, the, so it's a completely different scene than it should be at present. And if you get a situation in winter where you've got these thawing events that occur, and then you get rain on top of that, and then it all of a sudden freezes up. I mean, there you get scenarios where, for example, you can't these, these animals, as I described to you, they have to dig to get to their food, right? So there have been mass starvations as a result because they can't eat. They can't find their food under the snow which is supposed to be a certain consistency that they are able to dig into. So that's, that's another kind of dramatic example. On the other hand, there are some possible positive things mm. because, you know, growth is, you know, the season is longer. So that means that plant growth can occur 
over a longer period of time, potentially. But a lot of it's woody, you know, and so not necessarily of the same value in nutrition as to what, it's not like they're getting more of the great stuff, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So there's counterbalancing either way, and then there's some insidious stuff going on because of, in ways that we just do not understand that the climate, the changing climate is doing, and and uh, the the North is likely the first to experience it, and I don't think we can understand all of it and what the impacts will be. That was Justina Ray, caribou expert and head of the Wildlife Conservation Society in Canada. To learn more about caribou and other creatures that thrive in the cold, check out the new nature episode, Snowbound, Animals of Winter, on PBS January 11th at 8, 7 central. Check your local listings for details. And for more podcasts, full-length episodes, behind-the-scenes footage, and much more, visit the Nature website at pbs.org nature. Until next time, I'm Eric Olson.